0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on
1: 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. This is it. Episode one of Fifth Avenue Face Off. Huh? I'm um, your friendly uh, hockey chatting friend, Chris Mack, from the Fan Morning Show on Sports Radio 937, the fan in Pittsburgh, also of BetQLU on the weekends on the BetQL Network, uh, and just overall, Mr. Do It All, or at least Do It Hockey, Do It Gambling, Do It Sports for Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y, which is the best place to subscribe to this podcast, by the way, if you're looking to get it delivered right to you every time we come out with a new episode. And there will be new episodes two to three times a week. Yes, even this week, the first week of Fifth Avenue Face-Off, despite the fact that it is the bye week it is all-star break time, we're still going to get you new episodes. Twice this week, uh, episode one, I'll be joined by Eric Tangrady in just a couple of moments moments. Uh, Eric will join me once or twice every week when his schedule allows. We'll find out what he's been up to and obviously get his thoughts on what's going on with the Pens. Every once in a while, we'll bring somebody interesting to the mix, like today, episode one, Dave Hansen. Oh, yeah, you know Dave of the Hanson brothers from the movie Slapshot, which if you're a huge fan of hockey, is probably at least as far as movie quotes goes in your top five on your movie quote Rolodex. Uh, we'll catch up with him in a couple of minutes, talk to him about a little bit of everything. Cause the point of this podcast is obviously to talk penguins, to talk hockey, to talk Pittsburgh hockey specifically, and overall keep you up to date on what's going on in the world of hockey and the world of the Pittsburgh penguins. That'll include visits sometimes with uh, opposing team insiders, penguins insiders as well, which is kind of where we start the first episode. The first episode we start with, again, we'll get to Eric Tangrady in just a moment, but we start with Dave Molinari of Pittsburgh Hockey Now talking to Brian Burke the other day and asking him if the way the Penguins have struggled recently, and again, if you're not paying attention, uh, which I count on the fact that you are, as this is recorded uh, during the bye week and leading up to the All-Star break, the Pens are sitting in the very last and final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, the second wild card, 57 points in the standings. Technically, they've lost, if you count overtime losses, more games than they've won. Just barely treading water and the last loss was an ugly one to the San Jose Sharks right before the break. Dave Molinari asked Brian Burke if that means, well, what what does it mean, for example, the, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Mike Sullivan, and should he be worried at all? Should Mike Sullivan be worried? Should should anyone in the organization be worried? And Brian Burke, very defensive uh, of Mike Sullivan, in particular, saying that he was, quote, offended by the question. Hmm. He says, I'm sure people, there's a direct quote now, will be scratching their heads when they hear this, said Burke, but I'm proud of this team. Proud that we've hung in there the way we have with the injuries we've had it's not just man games lost. It's who those man games are that's gone. Who forfeits those man games? And I'll say this, Brian Burke's got a decent point. Chris Letang, Tristan Jari, they did just tread water, barely kept their heads above water with those guys out. But the question then is who's responsible? Now that just about everyone is healthy and back in the lineup, who's most responsible? I think what Brian Burke was trying to do with these comments was foist the focus on to our good friend, Mr. Back of the Milk Carton, Ron Hextall. Where has Ron Hextall been? Well, last weekend, he was up in Vancouver. I think Josh Yoey of The Athletic reported at a prospect development camp of some sort. So what's Ron Hextall doing? Uh, what's Mike Sullivan doing? What are the guys with the letters on their chest doing? Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, uh, Chris Latang, Latang fresh back off an injury and the death of his father. Uh... Evgeny Malkin turning the puck over multiple times all over the ice on Saturday night. Sidney Crosby with some fairly terse answers in the postgame meeting with the media. I don't blame him. What are those guys doing? I, I, I don't know. Is the fire still there? You would hope so. If You bring the core back. You would hope it's still there for them. What's Mike Sullivan doing? Brian Burke said, I'm just shy of offended by the question. I'm flabbergasted by the question when asked about a possible coaching change. And I'm a little annoyed by the question. It's not been discussed. It's not an answer. It's not a solution. And it's absurd. So what is the answer? Because the question is, what's Ron Hextall going to do? What's Mike Sullivan going to do? What are Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang going to do to turn this thing around so that we're not expecting another early exit from the Pittsburgh Penguins in these playoffs? We'll talk to Dave Hansen, one of the Hansen brothers from Slapshot in just a couple of minutes. But first, we bring in our friend, former Pittsburgh Penguin, Eric Tangrady, next here on Episode 1 of 5th Avenue Faceoff.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
1: Welcome back in episode one of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I am Chris Mack. We will be here with you a couple times every single week, talking pens, talking Pittsburgh hockey, and making sure you're up to date on what you need to know about the world of hockey, specifically your Pittsburgh Penguins as they gun for that uh, league well, league-leading 17th consecutive playoff appearance. And right now they're right on the edge. We'll get into that in just a couple of minutes, but... Eric Tangrady has been cool enough to join us and will join us a couple of times every week as his schedule allows. Tango, how you doing? Welcome to the first episode of Fifth Avenue Face-Off.
2: Yeah, Chris, no, uh, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. I know... Uh... All that chemistry we had in the RMU uh, hockey game has, has <laughs> brought this connection where we feel like, you know, we want to take it off the ice. I know that, you know, we have big dreams to, to kind of rebuild our careers back and, and get to yes. the NHL someday. But, uh, you know, we'll take this for now. So, no, I'm great. I mean, no, I, I got to tell you, Pittsburgh has really become home for me. Um, I grew up a Philadelphia kid, and everyone always asks me now that I'm retired, do I intend to go back? Like, no, I feel like I'm I'm fully ingrained in uh, into the community here. Uh, I took on the job as the head coach of Steadyside Academy. Uh, I worked for Pike Sotheby's, a local real estate brokerage, trying to help serve people finding houses in, in the area. So uh, I've really shifted from kind of a, I don't know, a, a, a keep to myself, uh, stay in my lane athlete to now trying to, you know, really reach out and branch out and serve and help people, our young athletes. Uh, young families so uh, i really do love this community and i appreciate you thinking of me to talk some hockey because uh that's one thing I, I do enjoy doing is keeping hockey in my life and i feel like um, have some knowledge to to speak on it so no thanks for having me
1: yeah no I, I, we appreciate you doing it man and uh it, it is uh, that's awesome that you're that ingrained in the community now like you said uh working the real estate game and also getting back into your your roots coaching hockey at shady side um you know that that's phenomenal it's and it's you know for some to have someone who was able to experience a couple different organizations right around the nhl and not just the pittsburgh penguins i think it's a good comparison probably for you to kind of put a frame of reference around some of the conversations that we'll have which we'll get into in just a couple of minutes i promise people we try and figure out what's going on with this team right now but i i know you grew up you grew up in southeast pa you grew up in philly so super bowl right around the corner I'm sure every single Sunday spent with you, E-A-G-L-E-S, uh, you're fired up for this, I imagine, aren't you?
2: Yeah, and you know what, like you kind of take it for granted. I, I did grow up in the tough times of Philly sports, um, but then when I saw basically my dad cry when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 17, it kind of really hit me like, wow, this this organization, this city has really been deprived of, of championships for for many, many years, and uh, just seemed like growing up, the Flyers were cool. They were, you know, younger, top-in-your-face team, and um, Eagles were kind of bottom feeders. And I got to watch them as a kid finally beat the Cowboys for the first time, as it seemed like in forever. And um, I've really, you know, stayed stayed on top of being a, you know, an Eagles, Sixers, Phillies fan. Um, I'm anti-Flyers. Uh, I have a quick quick story that you'll enjoy. But one oh, of my first few yeah. games, and one of my first few games in Philadelphia, I was lined up at a face-off against Dan Carstello. and. Uh, We're cross-checking back and forth. And Claude Giroux says, you know, hey, kid, like, stop trying to be a hero. You'll be in the minors tomorrow. And I kind of looked over and shook my head, and, and sure enough, I got sent down after the game.
0: So
2: Claude was right. Claude, Claude was right. But from that point forward, I said, "Nope, don't like this team. Nope, I'm out nope. on the Flyers. So I'm in on uh, everybody else in Philly." But everyone's like, "Are you watching the Flyers?" I'm like, "Nope, don't care. I'm not a Flyers fan."
1: <laughs> wow, man, that's that's harsh from Giroux. I mean, it's it's yeah, uh, it falls a little short of being the riot that got started on Long Island on Valentine's Day that one year, but. I can I can understand now why you'd have the flyers up there, probably neck and neck with the aisles on the places I don't I, I don't reserve any love for. Correct, correct. But yeah, to answer
2: your question, super jacked up for the Eagles. You know what? Pittsburgh fans are very they they love Philadelphia. Come on on board. You know, come on on board, and we'll we'll win a Super Bowl together. <laughs>
1: that's so hard for us, Tank. You know that it's hard for oh, us to root for anything Philly. But maybe maybe just for maybe just for your sake. All right, just for your sake. Uh, will eh, maybe, maybe not rude as hard for the Chiefs. I don't know. Anyway, uh, let me ask you about this hockey team and where the Pens are at right now. Um, you know, it, it, they're hanging on by the skin of their teeth to, to the final Eastern Conference playoff spot right now 57 points. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, they've technically lost more games than they've won 24, 16, and nine. Um, and the last one in particular to the Sharks at home. Uh, in another game where they started slow, battled back, and then seemingly lost their grip on things late again. You know, it might not be fair to ask if guys like Sidney Crosby, if Genny Malkin and Chris Letang still have that fire, but they're the leaders that you would think would be holding people accountable. It's probably not fair to ask if a two-time Stanley Cup champion, Mike Sullivan, is still, still knows how to push the right buttons. And it's probably not fair to ask where the heck Ron Hextall has been, because we do still have a month until the trade deadline, but where do you, you know, Brian Burke was asked about Mike Sullivan specifically and kind of, he said he was offended by the question, but when you look at all those levels, you look at the management level, the coaching level and the player level, where, where do you, where do you pinpoint the problems for this team right now? Yeah. You know what? It, it's kind of, it, it's a collective i'd say it's collectively like
2: everyone has a part and a piece of that but when i look at like the schedule you know being a player at one point like these are the dark days of the season right like you have your leadership group you have your crosby your malkin Latangs, like the guys that drive the butts, and you know these this is just the time of the year where you need that spark from within in your bottom six like you need you need a game where um To start off, you can start your third or fourth line and they're going to run somebody through the glass, through the window to create some energy, Um, someone to score an early early goal in a game to like kind of boost the confidence. Um, You know, I I don't like to always refer to the past, but like when the Penguins were the best version of themselves, like we talk about the HBK line, right? Mm -hmm. Like throw them out against the other team's top line. They can provide a spark, neutralize them and do things that you know, Crosby's not getting the other team's top defenseman for 22 straight minutes in a game. Like, you know, Gensel's not playing against a shutdown D in every matchup. Um, They just don't, to me, have that bottom six, you know, energy spark uh, line that they can throw out and confidently say, like, you know, we're going to not only neutralize another team's top six, but we're going to try to free up some of our high-end guys. Um, So I just see that kind of right now being their biggest issue. Like, the new NHL, in order to win – you, you need to have three to five entry level players, entry level contract players um, that can can really step in and like thread the needle of what type of team you are. Uh, so for me, I'm going to probably be um, a, a little bit against what everyone's talking about. But like this team kind of needs some sort of like internal rebuild. Like I would hate for them to trade a first round pick for somebody to come in that they think can change this lineup. And then here we are again without some some top top draft picks to kind of build for the future, because that's just kind of been the piece for me is I look at the Wilkesbury lineup, like who can step in and give them that spark. And I just haven't seen that or felt that yet.
1: If you're one of the guys on those bottom two lines, and, and I think there's a, a really different dynamic in that you've got, you know, a guy who's obviously more experienced than Jeff Carter. Understandably he's having like the most difficult season of his career and it's a long storied career, but you've got a, an experienced guy like Jeff Carter all the way down to less experienced guys on the fourth line or guys who've been through a couple of the wars but still are on the younger side like a teddy bluger if you're one of those guys on the bottom six is is there a worry as the deadline starts to approach like are, are you sitting there in the room talking to each other or on the plane talking to each other on the bus to the rink talking to each other about hey if we don't get it together soon one of us or a couple of us might be on the way out because they're not dealing Sid or Gino or Latang or Jake or Rusty. We're the guys, you know, we're the guys that have to generate something or else we're going to get bounced.
2: Yeah. And and I think that's kind of been the biggest problem. There hasn't been enough competition from within, right? Like when we look at training camp, um, was there those three or four guys that were looking like, Oh man, like if this person doesn't perform, like this guy may get pushed out of the lineup. Like, I don't know if there was really that feeling. Like a lot of people felt Ty Smith had a really strong camp and he maybe was, you know, maybe the seventh defensive position was up for grabs. But there really wasn't like a a committee of um, fourth and call it fifth line guys that you felt like you can interchange and one of them needed to just grab that role. So, um, you know, I'm not going to speak for Ron Hextall, but if I was the general manager in the situation, like... I'm, I'm chipping away at pieces. If that means the waiver wire, if that means a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick to try to bring in a bottom six guy that can just push these guys a little bit to say like, yes, you're you're an everyday NHLer, but if you guys don't bring it every single night, like you're out. Like I look back at my career and, you know, obviously I had some struggle with some confidence issues. I was pegged to be a top six four, but it got to a point for me, like I had to be a fourth line forward or I wasn't going to play. And there were just continuous guys pushing through the minors. You know, you had the Bo Bennett's um, then you, after that, you had the rust against, it was like, they were keeping guys accountable and on notice that like, if you didn't bring it every day, like next man up, we're not afraid to send anybody to the minors. And I just don't get that feeling right now.
1: It's interesting. You bring that idea up, the confidence issues of being projected as, as a top six guy, you know, you come back as part of a huge trade, right? It's you and Kunitz for Whitney. And everybody talks about what you're supposed to be able to do. But then when, when you struggle, maybe at times, the guy I see as a a clear sort of analogy for where they're at right now in that regard is, is a Kasperi Kapanen, right? Kasperi Kapanen, everybody presumes because of his pedigree, because of his dad, because of his draft position, Hey, this guy should be a top six forward. They backed so far off of that now that it's, Hey, you got to just stay healthy. You got to get on the ice. Once you get on the ice, you got to give us all you can in the minutes that you're going to get. And I'm just curious, how hard is it to take your mindset from, Hey, I've always been a guy who's been counted on to be a top six forward, be a point producer, play a different kind of game, maybe to, okay, now I've got to make the most of whatever it is, 14 minutes a night, or I've got to make the most of the couple of penalty kills that I might get. And I've got to be, you've got, you've got to adjust your game.
2: Yeah, it's tough. It's difficult because not everybody was brought up like to be versatile in that situation, right? Like when I look at captain and like he's a, he's, he's 100% a confidence player, right? Like you saw that stretch of games where he scored a couple goals and everyone's like, here he comes, here he comes, like he's back. Right. But in a bottom six role with you know all five on five play like that's a player to me that needs to be on the power play to get confidence but we're talking about the national hockey league this isn't the american hockey league where okay we're going to give you two three games on the power play to get your points and get your confidence like this is a results oriented business and if you can't bring it in that role like no one's just going to put you in a spot so um for me like he, he he's a shooter he, he's, he's a fast, he's a quick player. Like if I'm him, I'm just playing a chip and chase North South game. And no matter where I get the puck on the ice, I'm just throwing things in the net. Cause I know if one goes in, that's going to spark confidence from him, but I don't see him as a versatile guy that you can say, all right, go out and give us three to five hits, block some shots, be strong defensively. And then you'll move up the lineup. Like, I don't know if he's as versatile to be able to, to do that. Like you talk about like a Teddy Bluger, like, his foundation, his game is like, I got to be 55, 60% in the face-off circle. I got to kill penalties, get in shot lanes. And then you see flashes when guys get hurt, when he gets moved up to the top six, that he can play that role. But he knows every day NHL, this is what I got to do. So there are certain guys that just really like aren't capable because they haven't been put in that situation to be able to be that bottom six type guy and then adapt to get that confidence to get back into the top six.
1: So we've talked about the personnel. Let's go back to the thing that kind of uh, led uh, led the headlines in the last couple of days, and that's the coaching. I, for one, don't think that Mike Sullivan has run his course. I know it's a quick fix in a lot of NHL cities. Hey, uh, it, it seems like the boys aren't responding. Let's shake things up and make a coaching move. The, the Penguins have no interest in moving on from Mike Sullivan, and they think he's coaching this team the right way. But Can it happen even with a two-time Stanley Cup champ with a veteran-laden locker room where some guys, for whatever reason, start to tune the head coach out?
2: Yeah, it's hard to say because, I I mean, I I don't feel like a coaching change um, is really what this team is missing, right? I just think they're missing, like, a complete game out of everybody in their lineup and not just what it takes to be, like, a serious playoff team. Um, I look at, like, on paper – you know, the teams that are above them in the division, like I don't know if this team's built to win a championship like right now. So mm-hmm. it could just be kind of a, a personnel thing. Like we talk about the top guys playing 25 minutes a night. Like that's not sustainable for the rest of the season. That's not sustainable to win a playoff series like last year. They deserve to beat the Rangers. But after that series, is any Penguins fan like sitting there confident in who they're going to play in round two being like, yeah, this team's built to go the distance. Um, so. Again, for me I don't think it's a leadership thing. I think like Sullivan is arguably like the most well-prepared coach when it comes to tactical and how he manages his players. Uh, I just think of that they're in a funk of the season. They're in that that the, the dark days where it gets dark really early and you just playing game after game after game like when the media gets tough, when the game gets tough, like the first thing I looked at was their schedule and they're going to get a four game road trip out west like This is the type of turnaround where like, okay, we're getting out of the city. We're getting out of the pressures. Like, let's just go on the road and play simple road hockey. And I could see them going on a little bit of a run here.
1: I was going to say, if they don't seemingly, you know, they get out West, the weather's nicer, the sun's shining, right? You get out of Pittsburgh, like you said, for a, a week or so, if they don't start to find that turnaround during that West coast trip, that's upcoming. When if you're Ron Hextall, when do you start to really step on the gas in talking to other teams? Because a lot of people, myself included, have said, hey, where's where's Hextall at? And oh, he's at a prospect development thing out in B.C. What's what? Why is he back here watching this team trying to assess what's wrong in a in a six, five, six, four loss to the Sharks or whatever it is in the final game of the first half? I mean, should he start to consider if let's say they don't get out of the gate strong after the All-Star break? This is something Jim Rutherford loves to do, even to his detriment sometimes. And I think I'm thinking of the Carl Haglin trade in particular. But should he start thinking about making a trade almost just for trade's sake to shake up the room? Can that work or does that just create almost more of a tailspin effect where guys become less confident, the Kapanen effect maybe, and it it, it sends them off into a tailspin?
2: Yeah, I, again, I think it's just too early, right? There's too many teams in the standings that think they have a chance right now. So, you know, maybe you're another fringe team in the, in the other conference that's on the border and you're like, no, we're not really interested in moving any assets yet. You know, you give it three, four weeks, the standings start to kind of play themselves out towards the trade deadline. Like that's where I think the Penguins will be more aggressive. Like right now is kind of the, you know, you saw the Bo Horvat trade, like some of the some of the blockbusters, like the, the, the deals that are, you know, people know we're going to move like i wouldn't be surprised if like a timo meyer moves sooner than later but when we talk about depth trades for for draft picks like i think there's still enough teams in the mix that think they're in the hunt that aren't actively being sellers right now that uh, i think it's probably a little bit too hard on hextall to think right now is is you know press on the gas and try to find us a trade even though i understand what you're saying the psychological part of like Let's just show this team like there's guys on notice, like we got to get we got to get things going. But um, that's just my personal opinion. I think three, four weeks, the standings will solidify. You'll see who the real players are and who the sellers are. And that's when they can go out and look for one of those depth guys for for some, you know, not as, as significant
1: assets. Former Penguin and Winnipeg Jet, Eric Tangrady, now the head coach at Shadyside Academy, going to join us for a couple minutes, a few times a week, or a couple minutes, a couple, a few minutes, a couple times a week, whatever. We'll figure it out as his schedule allows. Uh, thanks for giving us time, Tango. Before we, before you run, I, I do have to ask. I know at the end of your career, you wound up for a few months in h- how's it pronounced? baris Nur Sultan, Kazakhstan. You play is yep. K- KHL right? Um, so <laughs> I just th- look. The only frame of reference any. Dumb American like myself has for Kazakhstan is Borat, so <laughs> I have to know there has to, there have to be some Kazakhstan capers in Eric Tangradi's uh, mental bank of stories from your days as a professional hockey player. I know it was only three months over there, but it's got to just be wild, just a completely other world.
2: Yeah, I mean the word that comes to mind is wild. Like it is truly the wild wild west of hockey. Um, I think it's a great avenue for guys late in their career that we you know for me it was like if I wasn't going to get fancy NHL I was just going to go try to make as much money as I could playing this game um, so over there they offer an opportunity for you know high level American League hockey players sometimes average borderline minor league players and they pay them a lot of money to do it so that's why I went over there and you know from day one when I got there the, the mentality shifted from like basically this pursuit of how much they love me into like now you're a part of our military system of how we want you to be programmed to play hockey like um you know being a power forward finishing checks like no you're here to score we don't care that you're six foot four and you're a power forward like all we care about is points of assist if that means you need to cheat like go ahead and my dna just like was not built to play that type of hockey so i really struggled but um when we talk about like being programmed as like military, like I'll never forget. we had a flight from, uh, from Kazakhstan, uh, Astana, it, it was the city Astana and Sultan. And, um, we were flying to uh, Shenzhen, China. And this was about a week before, um, I guess the, 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 border into Hong Kong was infiltrated and Hong Kong got pretty pretty much taken over. So, oh, wow. um, you know, first time to China, uh, it was a 23 hour flight, so we had to stop in Mongolia to get gas. Uh, Mongolia <laughs> airport is uh, exactly how all your friends talk about the Mongolia airport.
1: Yeah. But
0: I'll never forget.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Actually it probably moves a little bit better than Philly airport. That's for sure. Um, but no, we're, we're in, we're in the air and then some guy comes down the hallway with uh, basically the mouthwatch cup full of pills. And he's just like, Hey, you take, relax, kit, relax, kit, you take. And I'm like, relax kit like what, a, what what's a relax kit so i'm playing cards with a couple other north american guys a couple swedish guys and um one of the players is like uh these relax kits like don't mess with the relax kit so basically it's got like a muscle relaxer something to lower your blood pressure melatonin ambien like four prescription drugs and then like three way overdosed of like supplements that are going to help yeah. you sleep We're playing. A, we're playing a game of cards and uh, it was one of the Swedish guys turn to make a call. He took the relax kit and he literally was just like, uh, I'm going to call and just passed out in the spot. He passed out oh, for seven God. straight hours, passed out for seven straight hours in his seat. And I'm like, nope, no relax kit for me. And no. it was just like every day. It was like pills in your locker, vitamins you take, you take guys are like you. You feel incredible when you take this stuff. And I'm like, I am not going to not going to no. succumb to this. Pawn in their game of just like basically juicing myself up with who knows what to prepare to play uh, a hockey game and then the other one is I I totally tore my adductor off my um, off my groin and um, that gives you kind of a sick to your stomach feeling and I got diagnosed by the doctor there that I was homesick. Um, so I was told that I was mentally weak and I was homesick and then I flew back home and they told me you completely tore your adductor off the bone. So that's kind oh. of my, uh, my KHL stories. I made it four and a half months. I had wife, two kids that stayed at home and, um, happy that that one is in the, uh, the rear view mirror of my life and career.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm glad she lets you again. I'm not an Eagles fan, but I'm glad that finally she's let you put the Eagles flag up outside the house. That's the <laughs> least she could do after you go and tear your adductor off the off the bone playing in Kazakhstan and taking relaxed <laughs> yeah. kits and juiced yeah. up Flintstone vitamins. Dear Lord, I'm glad you're still with us, Tango. You're lucky to be in one yeah. piece. Yeah, right, absolutely. Man. Well, I'm going to let you run. Uh, I'll I'll see if I can get the pirate parrot to complete our charity game lineup next time. The three oh. of us, <laughs> I know you're oh, a big fan parrot. of the way parrot skates.
2: He's a good player, but, man, he didn't lack a whole lot of vision. And I guess that's true to uh, – he was really in character for that day, that's for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, man, I'm going to let you run. I'll catch up with you again uh, next week. Uh, Eric Tangrady going to join us. Uh, really lucky to have you, man. We appreciate it here on Fifth Avenue Face Off.
2: Thanks, Chris. Looking forward to it. And then uh, awesome job taking on this new venture. I think a little uh, extra voice of some Penguins hockey will excite some people. So looking forward to see how this progresses. And hopefully we're sitting here looking like dummies when they're in the Stanley Cup finals and they're they're playing uh, them against the world, uh, against some of, uh, some of the spots in the, in the local media.
1: <laughs> Would love for it to work out that way, Eric. Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. Take care. This is 5th Avenue Face-Off. Welcome back in. It is the first episode of 5th Avenue Face-Off. I'm Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show, Sports Radio 93.7, The Fan, and the BetQL Network uh, with Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. That's where you go to download the podcast. Subscribe there, too. You'll get new ones delivered to you as soon as they get released. Episode 1, thanks to Eric Tangrady for shooting it with us for a couple of minutes, talking about this current Penguins team and some of his adventures in the game as well. Speaking of adventures, this guy, an absolute legend. Look at this beauty, Dave Hansen of the Hansen brothers from Slapshot. Dave, thanks for doing this for a couple of minutes. We really appreciate
3: it. Oh, I'm really honored to be on your first podcast. One of many, I hope.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, look, as a kid growing up in Western PA playing hockey, especially where I did, I didn't learn to skate until I was like 11 or 12 years old. And I learned to skate down at the old Neville Ice Arena on the South side. So, you
3: know, when I saw you skating the other day at the uh, charity,
1: (laughs) it was obvious, wasn't it? (laughs) But, uh, you know, you're, I'm, I'm used to a certain level of grittiness, a certain level of, you know, down in the muck and the grit and the grime. And that's what the Hanson brothers kind of represented for a lot of us that grew up playing hockey. Like I said, in Western PA, that toughness, and it also represents, I think the fun of hockey. Like there's not a kid who grew up playing hockey Western PA or otherwise of a certain age who doesn't have at least a few lines from slap shot that they can quote bang right off the top of their head. It's a classic, one of the best sports movies of all time. And what I had, no idea until I really started digging into the research is that you weren't originally slated to be a Hanson brother. Is that right?
3: Yeah. The, uh, you know, the quick version of a long story is simply that that movie was written at the time by a teammate's sister, uh, while we were playing in Johnstown for the Johnstown jets of the old North American hockey league, which was the new Eastern hockey league, which is, if you ever want to read up some, some harrowing stories and fun stories you read about the eastern hockey league but yeah the the plan was you know when when she wrote the script sold it to universal studios they started casting they wanted to get a you know they were going after after a listed uh actors uh nick nolte you know john travolta you know some of the big names wow. at the time and they got them all on the ice rinks and they found out they couldn't skate and they tried to teach them how to skate and guys were getting their ankles busted and and just wasn't improving, and so the the recommendation was from uh, somebody was well, why don't we go back? And since you know these parts were written after real people, i.e., three brothers at uh, Jeff, Jack, and Steve Carlson who were playing with us at the time, and Dave Hanson, i.e., Dave Killer Hanson, you know why don't we go back and see if they can do something with it? So the plan, as I was told, was originally. You're going to have the three Carlson brothers playing the Hanson brothers mm-hmm. because they they were big they wore black ring glasses they had long hair and you're going to have Dave Hanson play the Dave Killer Carlson role when they made that decision and they were getting ready to start you know the filming and so forth and so on Jack was uh, up in Edmonton playing for the Edmonton Oilers and the Oilers were getting in the playoffs they weren't going to let Jack come you know just leave the team and come back so they they threw me in as the Jack Hansen brother and although I'm a heck of a lot better looking than those other two guys, they stuck <laughs> their glasses on me and, you know, and we're all from Minnesota, we all grew up in Minnesota, we all live together in the same house. So, you know, like anything else, when you're 19, 20, 21 years old, you pick up the same stupid antics and routines. So we just kind of blend, you know, blended together and, and you know, what you saw is what you got. So,
1: so the stinking root beer and the slot cars and uh, the foil, is that all written into the script? Or is that stuff that, as you guys, like you said, we're living together, you've been on the same team, is that stuff that you had talked about and you brought it to, I think it was George Roy Hill, who's like the story director at the time, right? Had done Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Sting with Paul Newman. Yeah. Um, is that something you bring to the table? Or do yeah. you just kind of show up and that magic is in the script already?
3: Well, kind of a little bit of both, Chris. I mean, the script was magic. Uh, I mean, if, if you ever look at anything that Paul Newman, you know, was quoted in writing, or, or you know, you see him on tape, when he talks about the thing that drew him to to the script was just how well it was written and, and the humor of it. And, and so, you know, things like the race car set, well, we all lived in the same house. Like I said earlier, the Carlson's lived on one floor myself and the guy that played pretty, pretty boy, Billy Charlebois, you know, lived on another floor. And when we had a day off on a weekend, which was very unusual because usually we were on a bus riding to or riding from somewhere, we would put all the furniture aside. We put up the race car set and we would race cars all afternoon. So, you know, Nancy Dowd, who was the brilliant uh, screenplay writer, she took that aspect of it and, you know, Put it in in the thing. One of the funny things about about the ad-libbing part was, again, she had all these awesome lines, but when we tried to act the lines, I mean, I can remember when we first started it, we got in front of the camera, and we had these scripted lines, and George Wright Hill says action. We were so robotic, you know. He'd <laughs> said cut, let's give it another try, and we do it again, cut, you know. And after about four or five times, he said, well, let hey, everybody take a break for a minute. Uh, except for you guys. <laughs> Don actually says, listen, he says, this is the scene. This is the setup. You know, you know your lines. He says, but what would you say or what would you do in something like this? And we'd say, well, we don't know. We just kind of, you know, we'd wing it. He says, well, okay. He says, let's give that a try. And so pull everybody back in. He say, action. We kind of wung it. And he said, that's a take. We'll keep that one. And from that point on, he gave us that liberty to you know say the lines and that throw in ad libs and that kind of stuff. So a lot, you know, a lot of stuff is really the scripted lines, but a lot of it or some of it is the ad lib. And that just that's what really caught on. And I think that was one of the brilliance of George Roy Hill, you know, who, who ironically was also from Minnesota. Right. I mean, nothing about hockey, which I don't know how that happened, but certainly knew uh humor and pulled the best out of everybody there.
1: Yeah, how do you grow up on the Iron Range and not know anything about yeah. hockey, especially minor league hockey? So so how did the hockey scenes work? Like, did you guys actually play out games or are you standing around for 20 minutes while they set a camera a certain way and then somebody says, all right, you're going to dump the puck into the corner, you're going to smack every guy on the Hyannis Port bench with your stick in the back of the head, and then you're going to get into a line brawl. Like, how orchestrated is it?
3: Well, and again, it was a combination of both. I mean, you, you look at the faraway scenes, and that was when, hey guys, just go and play hockey. We're going to shoot this, you know, from from above the arena down, uh, and it was fast action because because literally at at that point, most everybody on the ice were real pros, uh, you know. They had a double for Newman, so it was really good hockey action stuff. On the close-ups and and you know on on the focus scenes, like Steve slapping the guys down the down the boards with a stick, or us going in in the corner and crushing a guy, or or a meet trip and a goalie. I mean, those are all scripted out. The advantage we had was of course was it was usually against other pro hockey players. So we all were used to the physical aspect of it. So when we would run somebody in the corners, you know it was usually somebody we played against in the regular season. So it was kind of like our opportunity to, Hey, now let's, we can really get this guy, you know, and then we would, we would smash him. In fact, there's a funny story about that is the first one of the first, when we did the, the sequence, you know, when the fans and brothers finally hit the ice and they mm-hmm. go through the montage of the things that we do, there's that one scene right towards the end of that montage where I skate up behind a guy, grab him by the shoulder, swing around, nail him. He falls down. I jump on top of him. Well, George was setting that all up for us. Dave, this is where he's going to come in too. You skate in, the camera's over here. You grab him by the shoulder, take a good swing at him, miss him. He'll fake like he hit him. You thought, I said, okay, great. I, You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, the guy that I was going to do was a jerk that I played against all <laughs> season long. I didn't like him at all.
1: I see where this is
3: going. <laughs> see where it's going, right? So action. I come skating in, I fool him around. I go wham, and I just nail him right in the chops he goes down and knock him out and jump on top of him and, and everybody saw what the heck happened. Yeah. And they're all, screaming, yelling, medic, cut. Oh my, you know, George is going, Oh my God, what did you do? What the heck did you do? With this? I said, George, I'm not a movie star. I never did this before. I guess I, you know, missed my mark. I slipped. I'm sorry. kind <laughs> so That's kind of how the whole movie for three months, it was kind of that kind of routine with us.
1: So you guys spent the whole summer together. I mean, by the end, I mean, what's it like, I mean, you guys more or less become like brothers, right? You and Steve and Jeff.
3: Oh yeah. Well, you know, prior to that, back in, back when we, when we all played in Minnesota, you know, Jeff and Steve and we're all up on the Iron Range. The Carlson brothers were from the Iron Range. I grew up in Twin Cities in St. Paul in the summertime, you know, we would play against each other. They come down, we'd play. So I, I, so I knew them then. And then when our first year pro we all signed together we all signed for the wha which for the minnesota fighting saints and johnston was a farm team so that's 74 75 season we all lived together played together rode a bus together did you know drank in the bars together did everything together that whole time so when we got around to the second season that's when they filmed at the end of the second season so yeah we got to know each other very well we you know to this day you know i consider them as brothers uh still stay in touch and and, you know, certainly we've had a post. We finished our professional hockey careers. And, you know, as you know, and many others around the world, the Hans Brothers continue to tour and make appearances around the world. So. So, yeah, you can kind of say, that you know, we are a family. We, we were a family then and we continue to be a family.
1: That being said, I saw a couple months ago that Steve Carlson, who I know was battling throat cancer, it looks like he's doing a lot better. When's the last time you talked to him?
3: How is he? Yeah, from my understanding, you know, last time I talked to Steve, he went through all the treatments. Uh, the treatments went well. He's having some uh, uh, some residual issues, but you know, as far as uh, what those treatments were there to accomplish, I guess they did that, and he's he's on a pretty good road to co- recovery. And ironically, I hate to say it, but even his brother Jeff, who's the older brother, uh, he had his own run-in with some throat cancer as well, and ironically. Jack, the person I portrayed, uh, had something similar a few years ago as well. So wow. you know it's unfortunate, but they all seem to be coming through it okay, which is a blessing.
1: So you get through the summer of filming, right, in Johnstown, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're back to playing again. And before you know it, you're you're called up, right? You're you're back in the WHA. And I'm just curious, you guys have just been portrayed, and maybe the movie wasn't out yet, but I'm sure it came out at some point while you were still active. And people are like, okay, here's how I get to make my name now. We're playing the Hanson brothers. All right, time to go. How many times did you have to drop them in the middle of games once you guys were back and actively playing again just because of the movie and the reputations that preceded you?
3: Well, Chris, I say the movie is more fact than fiction. That even pertains to the Hanson brothers, you know, because my role as – as jeff not so much steve steve was more of a uh a skilled player because he was the puppy of the of the three brothers he didn't have to fight because jeff and jack were usually always there you know on his behalf and me you know for the first couple years of pro. so so our you know my continuing of dropping the gloves had nothing to do with the Hanson brothers what what really had to do with the Hanson brothers is you know i would go into another arena uh for example dallas you know when the movie came out Next season I'm playing in Dallas and I'm skating around in warm-ups. And of course, you're used to, you know, nobody likes the enforcer from the other team, or right. that was sometimes called the goon, you know, you're an enforcer on the home team, but you're a goon on the other team. So I'm skating around in Dallas, and I'm hearing the usual during warmups, the booze and this and that, and from the section, and, and I don't acknowledge him, and I keep coming around and then suddenly it started it turned into cheering. And I'm going, What the heck? And I look up, there's an entire section of fans with the with the black rim glass the fake nose holding up the handsome brother's booster club banner you know so so you know that kind of stuff and i line up against a guy that i you know i played again i would be playing against and he looked at me and he said, hey are you sold after the game <laughs> <laughs> So it kind of became more of a fun thing, you know, I mean, I'd go into the opposing cities and of course the newspapers wanted to do a feature article and a sense. So it, it, more than anything, it turned into a fun thing, you know, but the dropping of gloves, I mean, if I didn't drop the gloves, I, my career was over with, I had a, you know, I had a great career, but it it'd be not from goal scoring. It was from dropping the gloves. Most of the time. Did you ever actually have foil on underneath there? Well, again, I go back to more fact and fiction. Oh, and, oh you know, boy, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so in Johnstown, when we broke in, the pros, you know, I, as well as Jeff and Jack, we would tape up the knuckles on our hands, kind of like a, you know, a boxer mm-hmm. taping the knuckles up. And, you know, first, first few months we're going through the league and we're dropping the gloves. We've got tape in our hands. And and I don't know who started complaining, but the commissioner then put a rule in where you cannot have tape on your hands and get into a fight or else it becomes a, a major penalty, more of you know a, a game misconduct of some sort. So the you know, the ingenious uh, devious that we were, our coach was a golf pro at the Wimber Country Club in Wimber, Pennsylvania, but he was our coach in Johnstown in the season. So we said that you know, we said to coach, we said, Hey coach, can you you think maybe you can get us some golf gloves? And he said, why? He says, well, I don't know. You know, we just, we want some golf gloves. Well, remember Chris back then compared to now, the golf gloves were pretty uh, leather. They were thick yeah. leather, unlike the synthetic stuff. So he got some golf gloves. So what we did is we got them. We scuffed up the knuckles on the gloves, put them there overnight. We'd set them on a the radiator that was behind us next mm-hmm. to pet brick. He always kept his pet brick there. And then right before game time, we'd slip them on with are nice, crispy and crunchy. And before oh. they got all soggy and stuff, we'd drop our gloves and, and you know, have that advantage and go at it. So Nancy obviously took that to the next level Yeah, and had us put foil on every game. Yeah, you want some?
1: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Dave Hansen uh, of the Hansen brothers. Uh, it, it's I, I could sit here and ask you questions, and listen to stories for hours, but it sounds like what's amazing for somebody who grew up watching the movie like me is that like you said a whole lot more fact than fiction and a whole lot of reality in the movie slap even though it was again and still is one of the best sports movies of all time i know these days uh you're wa- working at robert morris we got some mutual friends who you work with and i know also you're on cameo and, and your cameos are amazing you really put like some celebrities they they get a, you know they get a couple bucks for a cameo. They go hi, happy birthday, so and so, and I hope it's a great day. No, you get into these cameos. These are solid. I was looking at some.
3: Well, you know when the COVID hit, of course nobody went anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly traveling was out of it. So, so it's kind of like my son said, Christian, who, who you Christian says to me, he says, "Hey, dad," he says, "You know, out there called cameo." You know, and I I don't do social media. I have no idea. You know, I'm an old fart when it comes to that stuff. And so he explains to me, I said, hey, listen, nobody's going to want to see me or one handsome brother and cameos. He says, oh, you know, people will want it. I guarantee. I said, no. So I put it off for months and he just kept bugging me. So really as something to kind of prove him wrong and prove me right, I said, okay, let's give it a try. Bang, I got slammed you know, with requests for divorces, bar mitzvahs, uh, you know, pep talks, uh, you know, all the real things. And of course, like anything else, I didn't know what to expect. And I started out kind of real slow, but thinking, well, they're going to, they're thinking they're going to get Jack Hansen, number right. 16 of the chief. So I started with that. So it's kind of grown to a thing where I have a ball with it. You know, I put on Lady of Spain music in the background, you know, that Newman said, never play Lady of Spain again. I put on the foil and but, you know, and people just feedback said, oh, my God, you know, dad's going to love this. My sister's going to love it. This and that. But, you know, it's even turned to some real kind of inspirational stuff for me, Chris. I got to be I got to be honest with you. I just did one for a guy that said, hey, my buddy just had a serious life threatening accident. He's going to have a long road of recovery. He needs a little bit of a pep talk. You think he could do something for me? So for him. So I, I did something, sent it off. I said, I hope this works. He sends me back a text. He says, hey, he says, this is office. He's going to love this when he wakes up. I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's unconscious. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, I, you know, I hope it adds something to kind of, you know, lift his spirits and get on it. So, it's, you know. It's a lot of fun, and then it, and it sometimes it's it's kind of a, a good thing for the soul. So I'm having a blast with it.
1: No, and and I again, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure people uh, would love to get one from you. Go, go to Cameo, just search Dave Hansen, He's out there. You can find him. And if you haven't watched it lately, it, or how about this? If you have a hockey fan, I don't know. Would we say it's PG-13, Dave, right? I mean, if you got a teenage hockey player in your life, it's probably safe to show him Slapshot. That's the first time I saw it. I was, I think, 13 or 14. Take take your favorite hockey player, young hockey player, who maybe hasn't seen it yet, and let him see Slapshot and see for himself what it was like back uh, in, in, in the minors back in the day. Because uh, it's, again, the fact
3: that it's more fact than fiction, I think, is the best part of all your stories. Yeah. Yeah, I it's amazing. I got, you know, people from the golden age to ankle biters that are coming up <laughs> to me and giving me lines. I mean, I've had I've had I've had a ten year old come up to me and, and just give me a line that comes out of uh, screaming buffalo swamp. Well, actually he didn't say anything, but I Gilmore Tuttle's mouth. And uh it's like, Oh my god, what did you say? And then he says it again. I says, We're your parent yeah. and the parents laughing his butt off. And I'm saying, That's bad parenting. You got a ten year old you know, but Under the appropriate circumstances, yeah, it's good entertainment. You got to watch it.
1: Well, I'll thank you one more time and let you run, Dave. I know you got stuff going on, but but I appreciate the time again. Thanks for coming on Episode 1 of Fifth Avenue Face-Off. And uh, tell everyone that you're still in touch with from the movie. We appreciate it because it's a classic. And uh, for a lot of us, it informs us of just how fun and how wild and crazy hockey can be. So thanks again.
3: It's my pleasure. And and listen, I – of, uh your conversation with tangle there and uh, i guarantee you there's a picture out to somewhere with him in kazakhstan with a borat suit on i guarantee <laughs> you there is
1: oh this this might need to be uncovered now we've got some investigative reporting to do dave you thank you for the tip i appreciate it uh it, take care of yourself and we'll talk again soon all
3: right buddy look forward to it
1: man what a way to get things started for episode one of fifth Avenue face off an odyssey original Pittsburgh hockey podcast. We will talk plenty of penguins. I hope you enjoyed the conversations today with Eric Tang Grady and Dave Hanson, Dave Hansen, What, what a legend, what a beauty, uh, telling us some of those stories about slap shot and just how real some of it was in his experience in the minor leagues. And thanks again to Tango for joining us, given his insight, into what exactly is going on with the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. It sounds like what the Penguins are doing, kind of remaining patient and waiting for the team to come out of the all-star break and maybe catch a second wind might be what a lot of people around the hockey world are expecting them to do. We'll see how long they can hold out though. If they don't come out of that all-star break strong before the all-star break really kicks into high gear. So episode two of fifth Avenue face-off, I will talk to, Uh, The Athletics Analytics and Video Breakdown God, G-O-W-D, Jesse Marshall. Uh, He does a fantastic job for The Athletic, breaking down film, looking into analytics and telling you where the actual evidence is of what's gone wrong with this team, again, as they gun for 17th consecutive playoff appearance. And also Jenna Harner of 11 on the Ice on WPXI. She does a great job of covering this team on a near daily basis. We'll get her take on where this team is at as it heads through the all-star break and into the stretch run of the season with the trade deadline just about a month away now. So episode two out soon. Don't forget, subscribe inside your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, review share we appreciate you doing all of it you can always email me chris.mack m-a-c-k at odyssey.com a-u-d-a-c-y i'll take your questions q and a we can always fire a couple of those in there as well and we'll continue to keep you up to date on just what to keep an eye out for with your pittsburgh penguins here in what is arguably the best hockey con in america pittsburgh with the help of 93.7 The Fan and Odyssey. Again, I'm Chris Mack. Until next time, this has been Fifth Avenue Faceoff.